That's, that's really awesome. Uh, we are continuing in our series, um, like Rob said, Roadblocks, and we're dealing with the biggest uh, questions about the Christian faith. Uh, uh, this week we are talking about the challenge of evolution. Evolution explains life, so how can you believe in a creator? This is one of my favorite topics, and the problem with this is that I had about 10 hours of stuff to say, and I had to whittle it down to four hours. No, I'm kidding. I had to whittle it down to 30 minutes. And so what I'm going to say here is nowhere near complete. It is nowhere near the end of it. Uh, this is just what I can say in about 30 minutes. And the main thing today is life is God's greatest gift of all. Um, one of the biggest frauds I feel that was perpetrated on me as a young man, as a student, was this, and it's still being perpetrated today, um, is that people, my teachers and people, my contemporaries, would use proof of evolution for a different topic. I mean, if you, evolution is very easy to prove. Evolution just means uh, change over time. That's all it is. I mean, my daughter has red hair, I have black hair. That is, that, that is, that is evolution. That's change over, that's variation within species. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing bi unbiblical about that. What the problem is, is when people use things like that, black hair and red hair and blue eyes and variation within species, to prove something called abiogenesis. Abiogenesis means life originating from nothing. It is a completely different concept from evolution, and yet, in our schools, in contemporary society, people say, well, because of genetic mutation, we can, we can say that, that life originated at random. And that is untrue. That is false. So, in, so students, um, when you are in biology class, whether high school or college or whatever, and people start talking about uh, the origins of life and everything, please ask them this question. Say, are you referring to evolution or abiogenesis? And they will look at you very strange because one is not, uh, they're mutually exclusive concepts. So that is an academic fraud that was perpetuated on me as a young man, and I was sold that bill of goods. It's wrong. Um, but so, so I'll start off with Genesis 1.1. It says this, how the Bible starts. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, is that a true statement? Is that a true statement? Is that a true thing? Did God create the heavens and the earth? And if he did, then, how, then why would we believe that? Well, I, I, I have five things here that point towards a creator. Five things that have moved me from being a, a, a person that believed in an uncreated process to believing in a creator God. The first thing is this, is the presence of life systems. The presence of life systems. Um, what Darwinism says, Charles Darwin said, was that life started very simply and evolved and became more complex over many, many, many uh, hundreds of thousands and billions of years. It, it, it grew gradually. Well, the problem is, is that systems cannot be explained. And, and this, is, this is how I started thinking about this. When my when wife and I lived in Alabama, our water pump and our car went out. Anyone ever had a water pump go out in your car? Well, at least that's what we were told. The water pump went out. It, it, the car overheated, and we took it to a mechanic, and the mechanic said, need a new water pump. And so he did a $300 water pump job, and uh, about six months later, our car overheated again, and that by this time we were living up in Kentucky, and my friend Rob Esposito looked at it and said, oh, you need a new water pump. And I said, no, 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 this, 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 we got a brand new water pump six months ago. He goes, that ain't no new water pump. And he showed me, and it had, it had five years worth of dirt on it. And, and he said, the only new thing on this entire system is this clamp on this hose. 
And so what had happened was the clamp had failed, all the antifreeze had run out of the system, and the guy said, you need a new water pump, put a $2 clamp on there, charge me 350 bucks. All right? So I became enraged, and I began to study uh, working on cars. Well, the, uh, the, the uh, radiator system is like your circulatory system. It has a pump, it has hoses, it has fluid in the middle of it. And so that, that, I, I started thinking that that is exactly like the circulatory system in the, in the human body. Okay, very simply, you have a heart, you have arteries that go away, you've got capillaries, you've got veins that return back to the heart. And the whole, it's a circulatory system. So what I have never had a Darwinist explain to me is how that system evolved. How did that system evolve? You need all the parts. Let's say that the heart evolved first. Let's say that some random mutation, a heart, a beating heart, started beating. Why? What was it beating for? Where was the blood? Did, or, or did the blood originate first? Well, then it would just kind of fall out. Um, did the arteries evolve first? Well, what did it attach to? Did the capillaries evolve first? I mean, how did this complex, irreducible system begin? The, 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 uh, the statement that I would say is that it didn't. All parts had to be present for it to make sense. Let's say that even, let's just say that it did. Let's say that a heart evolved. Let's say that uh, uh, an artery evolved, the capillaries evolved, the veins evolved. So what? Where's the blood? Where did, where'd the blood come from, and how did it get there? Well, I found out that in a complex system, like a radiator system, I replaced a, um, a motor in my minivan. Um, and, uh, and I get everything back in there together. I put the new engine in, mounted up all the electrical connectors, everything like that in my garage. And the last thing any mechanic will do is put the fluids in. So I put in the, uh, I put in the, uh, uh, the oil. I put in the power steering fluid. I put in the, uh, eight, uh, the automatic transmission fluid. And then I put in the radiator fluid. And all of a sudden, I started hearing a sound that li- sounded like Niagara Falls. And I look down, and all of the radiator fluid is flowing out of my engine block. What I had done, there was a screw called a freezer plug that you put in there to, uh, uh, to st- that they used to drain the engine block. I had neglected to put the screw in there. And all of the radiator fluid was now on my garage floor. Great job, genius. Well, I began thinking, one hole in the circulatory system one hole in an artery, one hole in a heart, one hole, all of the blood runs out and the system becomes unoperable. Life becomes, uh, one becomes untainable. One, that's all it took. Car was undrivable with that one little thing missing. Life is unsustainable with, that, with the one hole in the circulatory system. The Darwinism cannot explain the, the presence of complex systems. Okay? They need 100% perfection. So when, when you're in your biology class in high school or college and challenge, simply ask, how did the circulatory system evolve? Or the nervous system? Or the skeletal system? Or anything like this? How did these things that all had to be present all at once be uh, developed under Darwin's theory? Can't be explained. All right? 
On the contrary, Psalm 139, 14-15 says this, For you created my inmost being, talking to God. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. It is very, very, very easy to, to see how the circulatory system came together if it was designed by a creating God. It is very easy for me as a, as a gearhead to understand how an engine came together knowing the design, the people that designed these things at Toyota and Nissan and Chevy and Ford and Dodge and all those other places. Very easy for me to see that. It's also very easy for me to see when I see complex systems that is there as a creator of them. The second thing that suggests a creator is this, the presence of fine-tuning. Fine-tuning. I like this. This is detail, precise stuff. Um, a Nobel Prize winning uh, astrophysicist that is quoted in A Case for a Creator by Lee Strobel said that there are 51 finely tuned variables that make life possible. 51. Any one of them is off, life is not possible. Here are a few of them. The Big Bang, that everybody says, was a highly ordered event. Highly ordered event. It was not just some random explosion. I, I want you to imagine a continuum here. Um, how many of y'all like Fourth of July? You lay little snap and pops. You know, the things you throw down, they pop. Okay? I love those things. So let's say that that is the smallest explosion, and let's go over here to uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, the nuclear bomb. Okay? Here is the con here's the smallest, here's the biggest, and everything like this. Well, the Big Bang was somewhere in here. If it had been here... Um, matter would, would have been vaporized. That's what happened in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. That, that blast did not create anything, did it? It destroyed, it, it vaporized things. Well, and if, it had been, if it had been a little bit more cool here, then uh, 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 the, the gaseous uh, states of oxygen and everything would not have been. It would have all been kind of gloopy uh, solids. So it was a very highly ordered event, as physicists have told us. The, 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 uh, on, on the continuum of this, the chances of it being that precise are almost nothing. Highly ordered event. The second thing is that the proximity of the sun to allow for liquid water. That we were precisely 93 million miles away from the sun. If we were even a few million miles more, let's say, let's say we were a position where Mars is, it would be ice. There wouldn't be liquid water. If we were any closer, let's say Venus, we would not have, it would all be water vapor. The proximity, the, the, the fine-tuning of our distance from the sun makes liquid water possible. Um, the stability of our atmosphere, our atmosphere is very, very stable. If you compare the other planets in our solar system, the, the, it changes rapidly. Uh, the, the size of our Earth for gravity. It, it, how many of you all have ever seen uh, footage of guys walking on the moon? You seen that? Okay, something very, uh, even smaller than us has no gravity, or doesn't have the kind of gravity that, that, that we need to, to make life possible. Something bigger has a bigger gravitational pull. Um, the, it, uh, Earth is unique. Uh, the consistency of temperature. Um, in, uh, on, on Venus, the, when, when the, the side facing the sun is like 300-something degrees, and on the side away from the sun, like negative 90. There's wild variations in temperature, okay? Earth is very, very consistent. Uh, the, the moon, the gravitational uh, pull of the moon, if the moon was not there, each day would be approximately four hours long. That sounds great for a work day in school, but that doesn't, that doesn't do well for life, okay? 
um, location in the Milky Way. We're in a very protected, uh, it is amazing. That's just a few of the 51 variables that have to be there for life to be possible. Um, I, I, I was uh, on a plane from, to, to Nepal on my first mission trip in 2012. And this was the first time I'd flown in a while. Um, and I, if you've flown recently, you know that, that you have all of the, you have a TV, cinema, movie theater basically, and you have uh, in-flight information about where you are and everything. And after I'd watched my cousin Vinny for like eight straight times, and I still was laughing as hard on the eighth time as I was on the first, um, I turned on the flight information and I saw this, that we were cruising at 30,000 feet. That is approximately 5.68 miles above the earth. Outside temperature was negative 60 degrees. So, from a window standpoint, let's say that, that, that the earth is 93 million miles away from us. The five and a half miles part of that, that is percent of the distance between us and the sun. For the other 99.9999994% of the distance between us and the sun, life is un un uninhabitable. You understand what a small window, five miles, speaking cosmically, is for life to be possible? Negative 60 degrees, life isn't possible. So we have a very small, fine-tuned window where life is possible on this earth. By chance? No. No way. Isaiah 45, 18 says this, For this is what the Lord says, He who created the heavens, He is God. He who fashioned and made the earth, He founded it. He did not create it to be empty, but formed it to be inhabited. He says, I am the Lord, there is no other. This was 3,000 years ago when they didn't know anything about science that we know today. And yet here it is. He formed it to be inhabited. There are 51 precisely fine-tuned variables that, made, that make life possible. Um, the chances of, against that being, uh, being random, astronomically small. What I want everyone to do, um, I want everyone to take your pulse. Take your pulse right here. All right? You're alive. Take your pulse. Feel that. Feel your heart beating. Okay? When I was in seminary, uh, one of our friends, a lady who was in her 30s, collapsed and was rushed to the hospital. Uh, she almost died. What we found out, she had a, a condition called mitral valve prolapse. And what that means is that her mitral valve in her heart, one of the four valves in the heart, oh, sorry, two valves in the heart, were, was closing one quarter of a second too late. A quarter of a second. And it was allowing backflow in, in, in heart chambers. One quarter of a second too late. And her life was going to be over. Do you understand how finely tuned your life is? Take your pulse again. I've taken my pulse a million times. And I've never thought that a quarter of a second could be the difference between life and death. You are finely tuned. God created you with precision. You are not a random accident. The presence of fine-tuning. The third one is a lot different. I call it the existence of morality. And just like a fish 
doesn't notice the water that it's been swimming around in because it's been there all life. We don't recognize the innate sense of wrong, right and wrong that we have. It's always been there. Um, it, for example, if I was to go to any culture on any continent with any language, any skin color, any whatever, and say, is the mass murder of children right or wrong, you would never have one person say that was right. How did we get there? You, you realize how unique in this world that is, don't you? You know that we're the only species that lives by that. We're the only species that thinks that that would be wrong because the animal world of which we are a part of does not live this way. The animal world, the law of the jungle, the default mode in this world is survival of the fittest. Darwin said it himself. It's the survival of the fittest. Might makes right. The greatest good for a, an animal in the animal kingdom is not to love your neighbor, is not to be concerned to help the poor. No, the greatest good in the animal kingdom outside of humanity is to spread your DNA as far and as wide as possible, by any means possible. If that means eliminating your competitors, if we live by the law of the jungle around here, us guys would be trying to kill each other to eliminate our rivals. So we would have breeding rights for all the ladies in here. Think about it. We, that's exactly what cats do. It's exactly what deer do. That's what bucks do. That's what rams do. That's what every animal does. If we were, if the presence of morality was not here, that's what we would live by. That would be the code we live by. As a matter of fact, we, uh, most of the men in here would try to kill the children of their competitors so that, that, so that the children would not grow up and compete for resources with their own children. That would be how we would live. But we don't live that way. Why? Because God has placed within us an innate sense of right and wrong that all people are created equal that's enshrined in our declaration of independence it's the way that we live where do we get this concept of equality certainly not from darwin i don't know if y'all know this or not this was edited out of my textbooks when i was in school but i'm going to show it to you here darwin himself did not believe in equality his theories led him to a far different Conclusion. He writes this in his book, The Descent of Man. At some future period, not very distant as measured by centuries, the civilized races, and you know what he means by that, he means white Western races, will almost certainly exterminate and replace the savage races. Do I need to explain which one he refers to there? Throughout the world. At the same time, the anthropomorphous apes, as Professor Schaffenhausen has remarked, will no doubt be exterminated. Do you understand what he just called human beings of a different race? Anthropomorphous apes. The break between man and his nearest allies will then be wider. Man, by man, he means the dominant race. Uh, for it will intervene between man in a more civilized state, 
as we may hope, than even, even than the Caucasian and some ape as low as a baboon, instead of now between the Negro or Australian or the gorilla. And I quote that as a quote from Charles Darwin. What he is saying in, in 18th and 19th century language is these people here who are at the top, the Westerns, are going to eliminate the lower races so there will be a bigger break between them, uh, the, 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 the dominant race, and baboons. That's what he is saying. He said that's what his theories led us to. That's the morality that Darwin's theory of evolution leads us to. It was adopted by the Nazis. It was adopted by the communists in the, in the 20th century, leading to the deaths of hundreds of millions of people deemed lesser than. That's where we go with Charles Darwin's theories. On the contrary, the Bible gives us a very different, very different vision for life, it says this in Genesis 1, 26 through 27, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and over the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God. He created them male and female. He created them. Notice the only distinction God made in people was between male and female. He made no distinction on race, unlike Charles Darwin. I'm afraid that you university students and you high school students will never hear this quote from Charles Darwin, what his theories led him to believe. You'll never hear that. The fourth thing that suggests a creator is this. I call it the language of God. Now, I, was, I remember this. This was back in 2008. I was on vacation to Hilton Head, and the reason I remembered this was because my friend John Kelly and I had just planted this church, all right? And I was walking on the beach, and I saw, written in the sand, the words, John loves Kelly. I did, although he didn't spell his name right. It wasn't K-E-L-L-E-Y, it was K-E-L-L-Y. Man, learn how to spell your name, John, for real, okay? All right, so John loves Kelly. The heart, there's a little heart for the loves thing and a little apostrophe with an S. It was just so sweet. Now, any intelligent person who came upon that writing on the beach would say, okay, well, there, is obviously two, there are obviously two people, one named John, one named Kelly, and one of them, or both of them, wrote that. Because there was a language used, there was an alphabet used, there was an intelligent uh, arranging of those, alphabet, of those letters to form a coherent statement that John loves Kelly. Okay? Any thinking person would know that. No thinking person in their right mind would say, look what the wind and the waves were able to create. Look what these random forces that are acting upon this sand was able to create. No person in their right mind would say that. The fact that there is an alphabet, there is intelligent, there's an intelligent arrangement of those alphabet, and information means that someone wrote it. Can we agree on that? Absolutely. Well, within your cells, making up your DNA, there is a four-letter alphabet using four bases, adenine, cytosine, thymine, guanine. So A, C, T, and G. It's a four-letter alphabet making up your DNA. It, it, is, it is consistent. It is put together to convey information. 
and is arranged to tell what you would look like. In, your, in each cell, there are two billion individual instructions made up of A, C, T, and G describing what you would look like, describing your nose, your eye color, your height, your skin color, the, the structure of your bones, everything. Now, if we wouldn't be so foolish as to think that John Loves Kelly would originate from random, why are we so ridiculously fuddled in thinking that A, C, T, and G forming two billion specific instructions what you look at, what you look like in each one of your cells would originate by random. That does not make logical sense. The language of God is present in every one of your cells. Okay, Romans 1.20 says this, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, which is you. So people are without excuse. Within every cell, 40 trillion to 75 trillion cells in your body is a language of God saying what you would look like. And if we are not so foolish as to believe that the words John loves Kelly would originate from random, why are we so foolish to believe that ACT and G, those instructions, would originate by random? Um, some people say, well, genetic, genetic mutation is the reason we have that information. Well, uh, uh, militant atheist Richard Dawkins was asked on camera. It's on YouTube. You can go look it up. Just, just go to YouTube and, and type in Dawkins uh, uh, mutation, Okay. Uh, just do that, and there's an, uh, there's an interview asking him a qu this very question. says this, can you name one mutation where information is created in a genome? In other words, can you think of one mutation within uh, in a cell where information is, is increased rather than decreased? Because the definition of mutation is a destruction or corruption of the DNA. That's what mutation is. It's a destruction or corruption. And Dawkins stares at the camera, and he looks up, and he is silent, and he has no answer. He can't think of one mutation that leads to the creation of information. Don't let false information corrupt your mind. Mutation is the corruption or destruction of information, not the creation of it. The language of God is present in yourselves and in you. And the fifth is simply this. Fifth thing that's created, the lack of other logical explanations of life. The lack of all other logical explanations. I cannot think of, uh, uh, this is a logical statement. See if you guys can, can counter this. One, either we were created, or two, we created ourselves. Can you think of any other way where something that does not exist comes into being? Either it's created or it creates itself? Is there any other logical way that th something comes into being? I can't think of it. Well, how can something that doesn't exist create itself? It can't. So we're left with one logical possibility that we were created. Um, I want you to I, I, I imagine another timeline. Here is the beginning of time, and here is where we are. Okay, so in here. You know, somewhere in here is the American Revolution. Somewhere in here, you know, Jesus died on the cross. Somewhere in here, Moses led the people out of, out of, out of Egypt and, you know, all this. So here's time zero, and here is uh, now. And I want you to ask 
your friends or ask your professors or ask your teachers or ask somebody that is, that is struggling with this concept. I said at some point between here and here, there was no life and then there was life. You can't have some, something that's half alive. I mean, that described most of, my, uh, most of my schooling years. I was like half alive. But, you know, you, there's no such thing as, no, uh, uh, as something that's kind of going towards life. Either it's alive or it's dead. Okay? So at one moment, there was no life. In the next moment, there was. What happened? How'd it happen? Was it a chemical reaction? Well, what was that chemical reaction? Can we do it now? What, what, what was it? Was it electricity? Well, why isn't that happening now? In, in other words, what happened? What particular thing happened that there was no life and all of a sudden there was? No one's been able to answer me that question. No one's been able to answer that. And I, I was talking with a friend of mine who is a very, very, very wonderful friend of mine. He, he is an atheist, but he loves talking about stuff like this. And we were, we, I said, let's just, the, the odds against life originating are so astronomically high that even if it did, let's, it's probably, there's only one cell, maybe one bacteria, it wasn't like there are a billion bacteria, probably one bacteria, that, that, the single cell thing, right? He goes, yeah, probably. And I said, what is the lifespan of an average bacteria? And he, we looked it up, and it's 12 hours. And I said, okay, 12 hours is the average lifespan of a bacteria. So, in other words, life was, was, was going to be there for 12 hours and then was going to die. you telling me that in 12 hours, reproductive structures, cellular mitosis, evolved in 12 hours? Is that what you're telling me? The, the concept of mitosis, of the forming of spindle, uh, 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 spindle fibers, the replication, this is a very complex process, very complex process. All those structures had to be there immediately for the bacteria to live, to reproduce. It's not possible according to Darwin's theory. So why do we believe it? Why do we believe it? Well, I think this has something to do with it. 2 Peter 3, through 5, 3, 5 says this, but they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. There's a deliberate forgetting in our culture that God is creator. Why? I think it has more to do with philosophy than it does with science. Think about it. Where does the theory of evolution put humanity? Where does it put it? At the top. We're the top. We're the alpha. That's where we are. That's what the theory of evolution says, that everything else is lower than us. And not only that, not only just the, not only just the animals, but we are the superior race, too. That's what, that's what philosophy says. Well, what's the one thing that people can't stand? Having authority over us. And if, a, if, 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 the, if God didn't create us, what we are the masters of the universe. We can do what we want. All bets are off. We, no one tells us what to do. That is philosophically appealing to what the Bible calls the sin nature within every one of us that cannot stand God, that hates God, wants nothing to do with God. That's what the book of Romans says. Every one of us has that nature within us. And the theory of evolution appeals to that so much because if we can say we were not created, that we are a cosmic accident, then all of a sudden we can do whatever we want. And that is why the theory of evolution is so appealing to people because if we were created, then there's a being higher than us and we answer 
to him. And that is utterly repulsive to an unsurrendered, unregenerate heart. Think about it. What are the implications if we believe we have a creator? The first thing is that, that we were created and life has a purpose. Second is that we were created, if we were created, then God's ways are sovereign. We are his. And the third, if we were created in the image of God, all life is sacred and must be respected. I want to invite the band to come on back up. Um, as a lot of you guys know, I'm campaigning for city commissioner. And I've been out knocking on doors, meeting a lot of people. It's been great. I was, uh, uh, last Wednesday, I believe, maybe last Wednesday, Tuesday, something like that, Mon maybe Monday, I knocked on the door of a house, and, and a, uh, uh, a black man came to, the, came to the door, and I said, I'd like to ask for your vote, and, and we got to talking, and he goes, before I vote for you, I need to know something. Are you a Christian? I said, well, actually, I am. I'm a, I'm a minister. I pastor Cavill's Christian Church. He goes, well, I am too. He goes, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a minister too. And whenever you get two ministers together, it, 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 um, it's, it, it, I, I basically said, okay, I'm not knocking any more doors because we're going to be talking about Jesus for the next 45 minutes. And, and, and we did. And we just had the best time. And, and, uh, and we, he expressed uh, the same concerns I had over, uh, over just kind of what's going on in the world and, and how people are just being so ugly to each other. And, and I said, um, his last name was Jackson. I said, Mr. Jackson, how would you like to help me make a statement to Nicholasville? Um, maybe we can just bring something positive here. Um, I said, why don't you join me on the corner of Maine and Maple um, uh, on, on, on Thursday, and we'll just hold my favorite sign, and we'll see what happens. And he goes, I'd love to do that. And so this was us right here. Uh, on the corner street, somebody snapped that picture of us, and we were just standing there on the street corner, um, having a blast. People honking, people waving. That picture was shared as, as of yesterday, like 378 times on social media, and uh, and there were people that would ju just said yes, they they love that. This is what this world needs, and what I've seen is that the church needs to lead the way in helping solve the division and the issues we have in this country. Why? Because we're so nice, well, maybe, but more because we believe that all people are created in the image of God. All people, we have a creator. We aren't a random accident. There is no superior race. There is no survival of the fittest where one race wins over another. That's, that's, that's against the Bible. That's against what God says. That's not part of the Christian church. That's not part of our faith. And so the church has an amazing, amazing opportunity to take this concept of a creator that created us all in his image and take this, this message to the world. I don't think this world can, has, has a better answer. You know what the world's answer is? Violence, anger, destruction. That's what this world is doing. That's this, that's this world's answer to this issue. More along Darwin's lines. But we have the answer that we believe in a creator. Life suggests a creator. And this is what we all need to be doing. Bring that photo one more time. This is what we all need to be doing. We need to be treating others as we, as we ourselves want to be treated.
all people made in the image of God. Do you understand the implications of if you believe life is created? Do you understand how you must then live? Let's go live that way and be the example to this lost and broken world. I want to invite you to stand up and we're going to praise this amazing God that not only creates us but calls us to love and respect his creation and his people. Sing with us.